Some of God's best work happens in the dark. Of course, the Bible begins in the dark. It was also in the dark that the shepherds first heard this good news of great joy. And it was in the dark that the Magi followed the star which led them to Jesus. Yes, some of God's best work happens in the dark, which in itself is very good news because it is when we are in the dark that we need God the most. That's the Reverend Dr. Tim Bogus, and today he offers you an inspiring Christmas message called In the Dark. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to day one, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. Timothy T. Bogus, who in October became the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Sarasota, Florida. Before coming to Sarasota, he was pastor of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia for 14 years, after serving churches in Madison and Cartersville, Georgia, and Perry, Oklahoma. Tim is a graduate of Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. He earned his Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and his Doctor of Ministry degree from McCormick Theological Seminary. Tim, welcome to Day One and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Peter. Merry Christmas to you as well. And congratulations on your new role as pastor of First Presbyterian in Sarasota, Florida. So why did you respond to their call to serve there? What was it about the church that moved you, literally? Yeah. One of the things that I love about the church um, from afar, and now that I get to be part of it, is um, their commitment to mission. So this church has a passion Mm. to bear witness to the kingdom of God in downtown Sarasota, and uh, they're hands-on and feet on the ground, and uh, I was just excited to enter into something that was already good Mm -hmm. and be a part of that. Yeah, so that that was one of the things that was really exciting. Of course, it's still early days for you there, but what are your thoughts about leaving Northwest Presbyterian in Atlanta after a 14-year stint and starting afresh in Sarasota? Yeah, um, I kind of like a new challenge. Mm -hmm. I do miss all the people at Northwest. That's the church where our son was three years old when we got there and our daughter was five. (laughs) And so that's their church. Mm -hmm. And those are their people. And so I'm always going to be indebted to that congregation for loving my family. And yeah, I mean, these people, they're getting to know me and I'm getting to know them. (laughs) And uh, we're falling in love with one another and we're doing work together. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, it's just been a a wonderful three months. And uh, I can't wait until my son graduates from high school and and he and my wife and I move Uh, together to Sarasota. Because right now I'm doing it all by myself. You last preached for us several years ago, and it seems like a long time ago, and we're continuing to come through the pandemic. But what have you learned about how to be church in interesting times like these? Well, one thing I've learned is that um, there's no substitute for being together Mm. in worship. So I think that was the deepest sadness for me and and for the congregation in Northwest, because that's where I was, particularly, you know, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. the majority of it. And um, 
we just hungered to be together. And I remember the first fellowship supper after worship, mm. after two years. Wow. And uh, we were all just so happy. And we had taken it for granted, yeah. you know, before that. And it was so great to, to be together and to worship together. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the digital church is, is I think, going to be with us forever. And I think you have to have two churches now, a physical one and a digital one. But there's no substitute for, for being there in person for me. And uh, and it's easier to preach when there are people in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Tim, how did you experience your call to the ministry? Oh, it was more of kind of a falling into it, really. <laughs> so I had graduated from college, and I was looking to stay in Spokane, and I picked apples for a season. Hmm. I worked on a small-town newspaper, as I think you mm-hmm. did. Yes. And um, I bust tables at the Ramada Hotel right by the airport, and then— I heard that there was a youth minister position in Spokane, and uh, I was involved in my youth group when I was growing up, and Whitworth College is a Presbyterian-affiliated mm-hmm. college, and so you know, the, this idea of serving God with your heart and mind was at the forefront, and anyway, I just said yes to it without any ideas that I would end up doing it as a career, and um, there I met my mentor, Bill MacGyver, mm-hmm. and Bill asked me if I'd ever thought about going to seminary, and I said no, and he said, well, I think you ought to. Hmm. And um, and so then I applied to Princeton soon after that, and I guess the rest is history. It's been 30 years wow. since I've been ordained. Wow. Yeah. So what spiritual practices or activities do you enjoy personally during the season of Advent and Christmas to prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus? Hmm. So I'm a morning person. Mm-hmm. I like to get up while it's still dark, and that's when I that's when I read the Bible, mm-hmm. and that's when I do my own reflecting and praying and journaling and things like that. So for me, it's quiet at solitude as being mm-hmm. by myself, and it's usually early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tim, your sermon for Christmas Day draws from the beloved account of the Nativity from Luke chapter 2, which we'll hear you read in a moment. Of course, as a preacher, you must wrestle with telling this beloved story afresh every year. So what struck you in the text as you prepared this year? Well, the thing that struck me was kind of how I began the sermon, you know, that um, that it dawned on me that some of God's best work happens in the dark. Uh-huh. You know, all preachers on, you know, if you've been in the ministry for any length of time, I mean, this, this, this is a story that you don't want to mess up. Mm. And reading Luke perhaps is the, is the best thing that you can do, but to try to find something new and fresh. Um, and, and what struck me was was just the heaviness that we've been feeling as a country over mm-hmm. these uh, mm-hmm. past few years. And so then kind of what hit me as I was reading the story again was, you know, this all happened in the dark. Mm. And so then I started thinking about the different threads throughout the biblical story about things that happened in the dark and how God was at work in the dark when we're at our most vulnerable or when we're asleep. And, uh, <laughs> and so that was really fun for me. Hopefully people will find something life-giving and encouraging and hopefully lightening about the message. Well, you've titled your message, In the Dark. Tim, thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, you're welcome, Peter. My pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program with Tim Bogus with an extended interview, you can subscribe to Day One Weekly Program on your favorite podcast app or listen on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110.
In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. When I read this story again for the thousandth or so time, I realized something. Some of God's best work happens in the dark. Of course, the Bible begins in the dark. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And when Abraham despaired of having an heir, it says, God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And later, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land. In the dark, God promised Abraham a legacy and a land to call home. And Abraham's grandson Jacob wrestled with the angel in the dark. In so doing, he received a blessing and a name to go with it. He was now called Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. Centuries later, Moses and these God-wrestlers escaped from Egypt in the dark. In Exodus, we read, At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. See what I mean? And if the tradition is true, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in the dark, or nearly so. The story goes that the angel appeared to her while she was gathering water at the town spring in Nazareth. This spring, which still flows today, is found in a grotto, a, a small cave. And Mary would have had to bring a lamp with her in addition to her water jar. It would have been too dark for her otherwise. 
And after Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant and decides to break off the engagement, Matthew tells us, Just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so here they were, the two of them, headed for Joseph's ancestral town of Bethlehem to be registered. At least that was the emperor's plan. But God had another plan. As Luke tells it, while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Here in Bethlehem, God added another name to their family registry. Jesus, son of Joseph. Jesus, whose name means the one who saves. And God does so in the dark. It was also in the dark that the shepherds first heard this good news of great joy. And it was in the dark that the Magi followed the star, which led them to Jesus and then home by another way. Yes, some of God's best work happens in the dark, which in itself is very good news. Because it is when we are in the dark that we need God the most. We human beings aren't very good in the dark. We are unsuited to it. Our eyesight and hearing are only good enough to make us more afraid in the dark, not less. All it takes is one night of camping to prove just how true this is. Trust me, you won't get a lot of sleep. Too many things go bump in the night. No, daytime is our time, which is why I can't quite understand people who actually seek out the dark, like cave explorers or like Robert McFarlane. Robert McFarlane recently wrote a book all about the dark. Titled Underland, it's about a series of explorations he took underground. Why would someone do this? Well, perhaps it has something to do with what came to mind after crawling out of a particularly claustrophobic ruckle in the English countryside. I learned that a ruckle is the name for a group of boulders that have caved in upon themselves. He writes, To understand light you need first to have been buried in the deep down dark. McFarlane may be right. That may be true. You can't appreciate the light until you've experienced the dark. But if that's true, then it's also true that you don't always have to go looking for that deep down dark. Sometimes you just find yourself in it. As Mary and Joseph did. Sure, their son was born in the dark, but they were also in the dark about so much more. Mary was in the dark about why God would choose her to bring the Messiah into the world. Joseph was in the dark about why it couldn't have waited until after the wedding. Both of them were in the dark about how all of this would come to pass, or if it would come to pass at all. And the world they were living in had its own fair share of darkness as well. Their trip from Galilee to Bethlehem was a good example of it. They didn't want to make that trip. They had to. The emperor wanted to count his subjects for military and monetary purposes. It was all about the swords and the shekels. It was a painful reminder to them that they weren't free. The long shadow of Rome was still keeping their people, God's people, 
in the dark, the deep down dark. It's been 34 months, and we're still in the dark about when this pandemic will finally be over, if it will ever really be over. Over these past few years, we have lost many whom we loved. We have also lost much of what we loved. It is as if we have been crawling through one long claustrophobic ruckle. The difference being, we haven't found the way out yet. We haven't made it back to the light which is why we need to hear the message of Christmas now more than ever. The message of Christmas is that we don't have to make it back to the light because the light has made it back to us. Whenever and wherever we find ourselves in the dark, even the deep down dark, we can trust that God is with us. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139. It is a Psalm which reminds us that there is no place we can go that God isn't already present. In one section, the psalmist reflects, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. It is a powerful reminder that we need not be afraid of the dark. For although we may not be able to see the light, God does. And more importantly, God sees us and promises to save us both in the dark and from the dark. One of the people Robert McFarlane meets on his underground journeys is a physicist named Christopher Toth. Toth works in a laboratory half a mile underground searching for evidence of dark matter, the stuff that holds the universe together. It is called dark matter because you can't see it, which makes it particularly difficult to find, let alone study. Toth's research is as much an act of faith as it is of reason, which is perhaps why, in their conversation some 3,000 feet below the surface, the talk turned to God. Toth said, No divinity in which I would wish to believe would declare itself by means of what we would recognize as evidence. If there is a God, we should not be able to find it. Although he probably hadn't intended it, Toth's remarks get close to the heart of the message and the miracle of Christmas. He's right. A baby born in a manger isn't convincing evidence of the presence of God. We are all left to make up our own minds about Jesus. The shepherds had to. The magi had to. The disciples had to. You and I have to. None of us ever gets enough evidence to make that decision. But... By the grace of God, hopefully we will get enough faith. And he's also right that if there is a God, we shouldn't be able to find it. For as the Christmas story teaches, we don't find God. God finds us. Even 2,000 years later, even 3,000 feet down, even, yes, even in the dark. Let us pray. Illuminating God, we are grateful that in Jesus Christ you have found us and are with us, even now and even in the dark. On this holy day, fill us with the brightness of your incarnation. Guide our steps as we try to find our footing in the new year. Hold us close when we stumble and lead us into bright horizons of possibility as we seek to serve you and to share you. Amen.
You've been listening to the Reverend Timothy Bogus, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Sarasota, Florida. For a free transcript of his sermon for Christmas Day titled, In the Dark, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. And remember, to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, make a donation to this ministry, and much more. You can visit us online anytime at dayone.org. This is Peter Wallace. All of us at Day One send you our prayers for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is a critical time of year for us as we rely on the generous tax-deductible year-end gifts of our faithful listeners. 2023 promises to be an amazing year of ministry for day one, and it's the year I plan to turn the microphone over to a new host and producer when I retire in August. I love this ministry and the important work we do in proclaiming God's hope for a hurting and divided world. If you too appreciate the wonderful preachers we present week after week, I hope you will send a much-needed donation before December 31st. Your gift will be matched by a group of our trustees and other friends, so the impact of your gift will be doubled. Please mail your gift to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305, or call us at 404-815-9110, or give securely online at dayone.org. Next week, as we begin a brand new year of programs, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Monica Mannering, Rector of St. Martin in the Fields Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Her powerful sermon for the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus is called God's Name for You. Thank you, Merry Christmas, and may God bless you in the new year. Now, before we close our Christmas program with a carol, our day one preacher, Tim Bogus offers a final thought about his sermon today called In the Dark. So, Tim, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I guess the one thing is that we don't have to find God, that God finds us mm. in Jesus Christ, and that even in the dark, the light shines. Amen. Tim Bogus, thank you for being with us and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> 